Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 293 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Hey, we got a brand new feature. On the podcast, if you listen to the very end, which I hope you do, I will be taking a listener question every single week for a new segment we're calling Ask Carrie. And today, one of our listeners wanted to know, what do I do to make friends, man? Leadership can be lonely. And I got to tell you, that is an occupational hazard. So I'm going to answer that one. Also, my guest today, I'm so excited to have Jeff Henderson back on the podcast. He's an entrepreneur. He is the founding pastor of Gwinnett Church and Hamilton Mill Church in Georgia, and he just releases today a book that I am so excited about. This is a movement that started a few years ago with Jeff, where he just decided to be for the community. If you go to church and you're a pastor, you've probably seen these signs probably somewhere in your community. They're certainly all across America and other parts of the world, Uh, but the little hashtag for whatever your community is. So are you for Gwinnett, for Atlanta, for Kansas City for whatever. Yeah, Jeff was sort of behind that. And he's got a lot of marketing experience uh, with the Atlanta Braves and then with Chick-fil-A and then the last few years as a pastor. And he's got a brand new book out today called Four. And this is Jeff's premise. If a business was a person, many businesses would be considered narcissists. Same with the church. Why? Because they only ever talk about themselves. And narcissism is bad for business. So we're going to explore how to do customer service in a brand new way And I really think I had the privilege of endorsing this book that Jeff is pointing us toward the future of business and the future of how we communicate to a community. It's really, really a fascinating conversation. I think you're going to love it. I talk to a lot of leaders, particularly in church world, but this also applies in business too, where they're like, you know what? Um, I'm convinced we're just losing people. Like they're trickling out the back door. And a few years ago uh, at Conexus Church, when I was exiting the lead pastor role, my successor, Jeff Henderson, retained Tony Morgan to come and consult with us. And we were looking at a bunch of stuff and I was in the room and I said, hey, you know what? I think we have a backdoor problem. And uh, turns out Tony did the numbers and said, no, actually you don't. And recently, Tony Morgan interviewed Jeff Brody, my successor at Conexus, for his leadership podcast. And they talked about whether or not we had a backdoor problem. Listen to what Jeff had to say about what we discovered when we brought Tony and the Unstuck group in. Five years ago, we asked Tony to come and spend some time with us that year. Little did we know it would be like the basically the month Carrie and I would be passing the baton in a succession plan. And uh, we began to have a conversation about where our church is at. And you're 100% correct, Um, Tony. We started talking about the number of guests that we were seeing. And we were talking about the fact that um, when we looked at our number, you had said, hey, for a healthy new guest number, it needs to be equivalent in a year to what you would see on a Sunday. And that kind of rocked us a little bit. And, and when you left, um, we had been counting in a different way. And so we said, hey, we need to be counting the same way all the time, all that stuff, and really get down to what the numbers are. And when we saw them, we realized, oh, we had thought all along some of the growth that we wanted to see. I mean, we were growing, but not at the pace we wanted to. We thought it was a backdoor problem and realized, no, we actually have a front door problem. We need to be seeing probably at least twice as the number of new guests that we were seeing at, at that time. And so it was a sobering moment for us because um, 
we said, wow, I mean, we're creating a church that unchurched people love to attend. We're excited. We're talking about inviting all the time. It's not that we don't talk about it. And it's not that it isn't happening, but it isn't happening at the level that it should be if we're going to grow at the pace that we would like to. Fascinating, isn't it? Now, to see growth, here's, here's what's so cool. You need more new guests each year than your total average attendance. It takes intentionality to do that. And the natural tendency of every church is to become inward focused over time. And so here's the question. Does your church have a front door problem? To hear more about our experience working with The Unstuck Group or to learn more about their process and how it can help you, head to theunstuckgroup.com forward slash guests. That's theunstuckgroup.com forward slash guests. And also, you know, you know this, when people actually show up at your church, what's the first thing they see? It's not your front door. It's not your parking lot. It's not your greeting team. It's your website. And nobody visits a church these days without first visiting the website, kind of like you don't go anywhere without checking out the website. So how's your website? Is it updated? Like since 2008, um, <laughs> 2016, a good website will directly impact your church's visitors and online ministry. And that's why our friends at ProMediaFire are launching their brand new Pro Web Fire subscription service this fall. They're gonna build you a custom website, update it weekly as per your plan, yeah, every week updated. They're also including management of three digital marketing campaigns a year in Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. It's kind of cool. So it's a subscription service. You don't hire staff, you, you hire them for a monthly fee. And speaking of that, this month, the listeners of this podcast can receive a launch special of up to 30% off for life, depending on the plan. That's no upfront website development fee, up to 30% off for life. This is only in October. So you can go to prowebfire.com forward slash carry. That's prowebfire.com forward slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y, where you can save up to 30% for life, depending on the plan. So get your website into 2020. How does that sound? Well, now, without much further ado, here's my conversation with Jeff Henderson. Well, I'm so glad to have Jeff back on the podcast. Welcome back, Jeff. Harry, it's great to be here. And you're I'm so excited. You're, we're recording this at Gwinnett Church, and you're about to speak to our staff. I am, yeah. In about an hour or thereabouts, yep. we will go upstairs and hang out with your staff. And we've gotten a chance to spend a lot of time together. You came up to Toronto to hang out with us at Connexus Church and at my house. We got out on the boat. Yeah, it was amazing. And Wendy came with me, so that was awesome. And you know, if the podcast thing doesn't work out, I think you could go be a chef as Big Green Egg Company or something. It was amazing. So you guys have probably seen Carrie's pictures on his Insta story. I had to personally test it to see if it was really that good as it looks. And it was amazing. So we had oh, good. great steaks, wonderful time on the water, some Canadian ice cream. So mm -hmm. it was great. Yeah, the ice cream, you got Kortha Dairy, That's which right. is a, right. a local legend, <laughs> it was total great. local legend. But anyway, Jeff, I'm so excited for you because you've had this, message inside you that you've build, been building for a decade that's finally coming out in a book form today. Uh, know what you're for, right? So um, why'd you write it? Well, interestingly enough, you're part of the story. I remember one time you were, you were, I think you were in South Dakota and you took a picture of a church that was doing something for their community and you, you, you texted me. I still have the text to this day and you said, right. okay, I've had it. You've got to write a book on this. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so this really, I, I wouldn't. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for you, literally. And uh, but this really kind of goes back to the last twenty-two years of working with two thriving organizations, Chick Fil A and North Point. Yeah. 
And if you, you look didn't at, mention the Atlanta Braves when you said thriving organizations. They're, they're actually thrive. They well, depending on when we're broadcasting, <laughs> which is actually October first, launch day. They, I'm a Blue I'll Jays say fan. this: uh, they've had a good season. They've had yeah. a good season. But I, I really just realized, began to ask the question: What caused these two organizations to grow? And it really became out of out of studying that, and being a part of that for the last twenty two years. These two questions that I really think help organizations, whether it's a church, a business, or a nonprofit, grow. So, and it's really about being for people. Mm. And while that sounds altruistic, I think it really is at the heart. That really gets to really the most powerful way that our organizations, businesses grow is through positive word of mouth advertising. Well, you had a chance to get to know Truett Cathy. Mm-hmm. You were actually his driver at one <laughs> point, right? right? For yeah. one night. For one for night, one night yeah. you, you drove Truett Cathy. So for those of you who don't know Chick-fil-A, he founded Chick-fil-A. And before we get into the Truett Cathy story, Chick-fil-A is relatively profitable. Fair to say? Uh, fair to say. Fair to say. They, is it true that they outpace McDonald's in, in terms of same-store sales and that kind of thing? And they're, I mean, for whatever is public, like what, uh, just tell us about the success. Because I think a lot of people, particularly for what you say, it's such a positive message. They're like, yeah, but we need to drive the bottom line. And that's not, we live in a cynical world. How can, sure. how can you know, being for people and for your customers and for your team actually work? But give us some of the, the like staggering numbers of Chick-fil-A, which is now really a global competitor. It's a $10 billion organization. So they'll, they'll do $10 billion in sales this year. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's the, what's interesting about Chick-fil-A is that they've had 51 consecutive years of same store sales growth. Same store wow. means stores that have been open for over a year and you compare that, that, that really right. dictates and tells you the health of an organization. So same store sales, Sell, the store could have been there for 25 years and they're growing every year. Well, f- uh, overall. Overall, sure, 50, sure, sure. But sure. 51 straight years of consecutive same store sales growth, which is unheard of. The other thing that's interesting is they're debt free. They are not funding their, their, their store growth out of debt. They are funding it out of cash. And it's and still it's, privately held. Privately held. Yeah, uh, privately that, held. Which is why they're closed on Sundays. <laughs> yes, exactly, right? So here's, here's the crazy thing. A $10 billion company uh, in an organization that is only open six days a week. That's right. And in many cases, particularly those stores that are in a mall, they'll do more sales in six days than, than the other tenants will do in you know, seven days combined, in some instances. So it goes back to this, this premise that it, it's actually doing good is good for business. It, in, mm. in today's world, doing good is good for business, which is why I, I think this is an exciting time to be alive, that people want to do business with companies they believe in. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I had uh, dinner recently, uh, like a few months ago, with someone who had just literally endowed a university, the business school. And we were talking about what was changing in business. And, you know, right now with the 2020 election coming up in a year, there's the uh, fight between the right and the left, capitalism, socialism, the whole deal. That's why when I had the opportunity to endorse your book, one of the things I wrote, uh, I think it made the edit, was that if you're looking for the future of business, this is it. And I had a chance to tell him, I think ethical business is that, that there has to be more than just dollars. Like $10 billion is is impressive, but if you're trying to get to $10 billion, trying to get to $10 billion is not the way to do it. And that's yeah. not how Chick-fil-A did it. So let's go back to, uh, and he was, he was saying, you know, wow, we're thinking about, you know, business school and all that stuff. And I said, I just think businesses that actually care about people, that care about culture, that care about the community, that care about the environment, that, that have a soul, that have 
ethics are going to drive the future. Absolutely. And if the goal is to stay in business, if that's the ultimate goal, we just want to stay in business, you won't. There Mm -hmm. has to be a driving purpose for how are you making us better? Why should we pay attention to you? That's why when I see a lot of advertising and it's, we're better than our competitors, it does not surprise me that you think you're better than your competitors. That's, That's not new information to me. What would be helpful is how are you helping my life better? How are you making the world a better place? And that doesn't mean that you have to separate those kind of motives with a bottom line. They actually go together. And that's one of the things I've learned uh, with Chick-fil-A, one of the things I've learned from North Point. Obviously, in the nonprofit world, as you well know, Kerry, mm-hmm. we, the only thing we really have to sell is purpose. You know? Yeah, 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 that's it. We and better be mission-driven. That's right. But I, I feel like if, if nonprofit leaders could think a little bit more like business leaders and business leaders could think a little bit more like nonprofit leaders, there's a, there's a, there's a win in the middle ground there somewhere. And I think business leaders sometimes just focus on the product, but oh, if they had a purpose to go with that product and baked it into the purchase, that's where the game is going. And you don't have to not focus on the bottom line. You 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 can have purpose and a, and a great bottom line. So going back to driving Truett Cathy, he got this like 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. He, he understood that. And uh, you have a quote in the book, which is a great book, by the way. I'm, I'm taking my team through it as it becomes well, available. You that he's more interested in the business growing people than people growing the business. Right. Can, can you explain what that means? Sure. Well, to, to, to your point, I, I was driving through it to a speaking engagement. I don't even know where we were. I can't remember where we were going or what we were doing, but you know, it's not surprising that the CEO would ask you questions, right? And you're, you're thinking it's going to be typically business-related questions. But he asked me about, hey, how's Wendy doing? And how are your kids doing? He knew my parents. How's your dad and mom doing? And we started talking about how can you be a good husband and a good business person and a good father and and you know successful career. And we really started talking about some some really substantial life issues. And I began to realize over the course of the car, car ride that Truett was for me. He was more interested in Jeff as a person than Jeff as the chicken salesman. Ah. But what I experienced after that, Kerry, is at the end of that night, I would have run through a brick wall for Truett Cathy. I became a better chicken salesman because I became a better person. And so in that, in that moment, he was interested in me as a person. So because of that, I wanna return the favor and do the very best job I can for him. So his business really grew me as a person, um, helping me in all areas of life. But as a result of that, it helped me be a better business person. And so for me, that, that's when I thought, oh, that's his secret. He's really interested in growing people. And if you grow people, they'll grow the business. Hmm. And so that's what he's experienced. So give us the four initiative in a nutshell. The four initiative is based on two questions. And the first question is, what do you want to be known for? That's your vision. That's your, your, your unique niche in the marketplace. So what do you wish people would say about you? What do you wish when they think of your company's name, your name, your church's name? Right. Oh, that's the church, Gwinnett Church. This is what they're for. This is what they're known for. So what do you want to be known for? Then the second question is, what are you known for? And that's the customer's answer. So the first one is our answer. This is what we want to be known for. The second question is the customer's response to that. And here's the power of that, Kerry. When those two questions, when the answers to those two questions match, when what you want to be known for is what you're known for, you create a sales force for free. You Mm. harness the greatest form of advertising the world has ever seen, positive word of mouth advertising. And we quote Scott Cook in the book, and uh, billionaire, smart business guy. And he says, a brand is no longer what it tells customers it is. 
A brand is what customers tell other customers it is. That's mm. word of mouth advertising. That's how your podcast has grown. Oh, you got to listen to the Carrie Newhoff podcast. Mm. You know, you got to, have you listened to this latest uh, episode of Carrie? That's that, that's it. It goes viral. I mean, that's the, the whole viral thing. So, and we all know this when you've, when a business has said, how do you hear about us? And they list several boxes. You know, did you hear about us from TV, radio, billboard, print? And then there's the final box called the other box. And the other box always wins. And it, mm. it drives marketing people like me crazy because we all know what the other box is. It's positive word of mouth advertising. But it's so mysterious, it's so elusive that what we do is we just end up going to the paid advertising. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do paid advertising, but I'm saying that the other box doesn't have to be mysterious. So what this book is about is it takes the mystery out of the other box. Mm. It teaches us how to harness and create a sales force for free. And it's based on those two questions. So let me ask you just from a business standpoint, uh, I sell lawnmowers. I'm mm. just going to pick something because mm. I do like cut grass. Like that's You nice. do. Yeah. Um, but I sell lawnmowers. So w what am I for? I'm on like, you know, great lawnmowers at a good price. Like how, how, does, that, how does that work out? What, do, what would... If I'm a lawnmower salesman, if I, you know, if I'm selling cars, if I'm selling chicken, if, what do I want to be known for? I love what Frank Blake says. Frank was the, is the former CEO of Home Depot. And he says, we don't, we didn't sell drill bits. Hmm. We sell the emotion that when the spouse comes in and sees the completed project, we sell that emotion. Hmm. I love that. So what Frank is saying is we want to be known for making that customer feel good in the eyes of somebody important in their life. Right. So if I'm selling lawnmowers, I'm trying to figure out, uh, as it relates to you, I want to help care. I want to, I want to sell that emotion that carries uh, when he Insta stories, those fresh lines in his backyard. Thank you. What I'm not selling a lawnmower. I'm selling the emotion that when Tony, your wife comes out and says, Carrie, you did a great job. That's what I'm selling. <laughs> and so right. I want to be for that. Now, how they couch that in terms of word and phrasing, that's a whole other thing. But I don't think it's our lawnmower is cheaper than this lawnmower. You're going to figure that out. You're smart yeah. enough to figure out. You're going to look at the pricing. You don't need my, I don't need your help to tell me what the pricing is. But if there's something that lets me know that you're for me and you can relate to me and connect to me, and there's something about the emotions that you connect with me, that's what I want to be known for. And then for church, it would be, well, we want to share the gospel or not for profit. Mm -hmm. But is there a nuance to that? Well, that's, the, the, the great thing for us is that's where we started. I mean, yeah. the, the book is based on really the experience of, of Gwinnett Church asking these two questions. And even before we even had a name, um, we weren't even, we didn't have a building. We didn't have a name. We took, you know, eight months off before we even launched this thing because I was at Buckhead Church. Yeah. And then I, I didn't want to go too fast. I wanted to kind of go slow and take my time. And so we asked the two questions, what do you want to be known for? And what are you known for? Well, we weren't known for anything because we didn't exist. <laughs> you didn't yeah. exist. Yeah, <laughs> right. that's right. So we said, well, what is the church known for? And then someone in the meeting said, well, the church for many people, are more, people are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. And I can still remember that moment right now. And it's like, mm. well, that's a big statement. Well, and I, I would say that was nine years ago. Yes. It's probably even more accurate today right. than it was nine years ago right. in the right. current that's climate, true. right? That's true. That's true. It hasn't gotten any better. No. So- so in that moment, we said, well, then, wow, that's a big statement. Well, what do we want to be known for? And then we said, well, we want to be known for being for Gwinnett kids and being for, for Gwinnett students and for Gwinnett businesses and for Gwinnett uh, government officials and all that. And so that's when we thought, we're for Gwinnett. That's what we want to be known for. 
And so that's when, when we bought the property that we're on today, the city said, you could put a sign out there that says Gwinnett Church coming soon. And that's exactly what I did not want to do on our first impression. You know, initially, eventually you have to say, this is where we are. But our first introduction to the community, we just put a sign out there that said, hashtag for Gwinnett. There was no website. It was just that. And I got feedback from people saying, how are they going to know this is a church? And I said, exactly. I mm. want to create some conversation with people because you just drove on the road. The cars that are driving up and down the road in that early, on those early days, I don't want people the first impression to think, oh, that's a church. I'm not a church person. That has nothing to do with me. I wanted a message to say for everybody that lives in this county, whatever's happening over here is for you. And we are for you. And our role is to tell you that we can connect you and, and serve you. So that's been our answer to the question. And that's really how this thing began to grow. Hmm. And then it's been fun. Um, I mean, thanks to your influence and, and, and your support of this message. But I've, you know, I remember the first time I got a, I got a four Winnipeg coffee mug. <laughs> and I thought, I love that. oh my goodness, somebody's, and then I, then I got a t-shirt uh, for SC from New Spring. And so it just began to grow. And I thought, oh my goodness, this, this message is, is really- It's everywhere. Yeah, it's resonating. And so, and so, but it was really born out of those two questions. What do you want to be known for? And what are you known for? So from a church standpoint, I think it's 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 just as practical and helpful from a church standpoint as it is a business standpoint. Yeah, you got a quote in the book that I loved. If a business was a person, many businesses would be considered narcissism or narcissists, and narcissism is bad for business. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Can you explain? Well, if you take any major brand, I yeah. mean, I I won't mention any, but any major brand, and go to their Instagram page right now you'll see a discrepancy between followers and their and who they're following and who's following them. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a massive discrepancy. And then when you look at their Instagram feed, it's all about, look how great our products are, look how great we are. Look, look, it's all about us, it's all about yeah. us. If that was a person, um, that would be, that's displaying narcissism. Look at me, look at me, look at right, me, look right, at right. me, look at me. Yeah. Uh, Google says narcissism is someone that has a, an excessive admiration about themselves. And so, my pushback to, to big brands is, hey, the follower following discrepancy, I, I was with a big brand recently and I said, so you have a million followers on Instagram and you're following 55. Do you know who, are, who those 55 are? And they said, no. I said, well, basically it's you. You're following yourself. Now, the pushback I get on this, if we're not too detailed, but well, what if I follow somebody that does something that, that is inappropriate? Well, you just unfollow them. And I'm not saying you follow 1 million, but there. The, the, the issue is the spotlight on social media for most large brands and really churches is the spotlights on the business and the organization. Me, 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 me. Right, right, right. And we have to shift the spotlight because the customer is walking away from that. They want to know, are you noticing me? Mm -hmm. And I think thriving organizations, I'm all for creating great fans and we'll talk about this in just a second. But I think where the game is going is thriving organizations of the future will be more interested in becoming a fan of the customer instead of trying to convince the customer to become a fan of the organization. And so flip it. Yeah, just flip it. And if you'd use a sporting analogy, we have a, a football helmet here. Yeah. Right, for, for many years, and still in the business world, if it looked like, let's say a, a football game, the business would be the one on the field and the customers would be on the stands cheering the business because they're the most important ones. What I'm asking businesses and churches to do is flip that. You get in the stands, put the customers on the field and you cheer them on. And when you look at that from an Instagram mm -hmm. or messaging standpoint, it's a completely different shift. And so what I, one of the things, and we don't get this right all the time. We had a conversation about this just the other day. We try every other 
every third or fourth, fourth post on the Gwinnett Church Instagram feed, we want it to be about something outside the four walls of the church. So when I'm with churches or businesses, I, I take them to their Instagram page and say, all right, let's count the last 10 posts. How many are about the business and how many are about the customer or the people outside the business? And typically it's nine to one, 10 to zero in favor of the business. And so it's just a shift, but there are organizations but, that are doing But how this. do you do that? Like, how, like, I'm just thinking about that. Do you, do you start retweeting what they're doing? Do you do like, okay, a good example. If you follow Dave Ramsey or Rachel Cruz, they have the debt-free scream on radio, but then they've got pictures that people have of, you know, we paid off $62,000 yeah. worth of debt in 18 months yep. and it's the family and they're cheering and the whole deal. So are you talking about that? And then how do you even create that? Well, I love Chubby Shorts. I don't know if you're familiar with Chubby Shorts, but it's- I don't know them. I heard about them through your book. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a really fun brand, short men's shorts, uh, hence the name. But they've done something really ingenious. They have, in essence, turned their Instagram feed over to their customers. Hmm. So if you were to buy a pair of chubby shorts, Carrie, and by the way, they would, with your following, they would love this, by the way. <laughs> and you post a picture of you on your Instagram feed and tag them, then typically what they'll do is they'll take you and feature you on their Instagram feed. Now, oh, yeah. and that does two so it's things. It's just a tagging it's thing. It's just, it's a tagging thing. But you think, was that that big of a deal? Well, I don't know, but they have as, almost as many followers as Home Depot and Lowe's, and they are multi-billion dollar brands. This is a small little brand. So the social media- yeah, Didn't you say they do 10 million in sales oh, yeah. as opposed to like 100 billion or whatever, yeah, whatever Home they, Depot does, who knows? But, and again, in fairness to Home Depot and Lowe's, but theirs is, here's our product. Here's who we are. Here's our product. But Chubby's is doing it. Here's our customer in our product. Here's our customer. Here's Carrie in our product. And so what happens is, is when these customers see themselves on the Chubby's Instagram page, then they start they, they start texting their friends, go to the Chubby's Instagram page. I'm Look, on it I today. Made it right. on Chubby's. I, yeah, yeah. So yeah. what is that? That's a yeah. Salesforce for free. Mm. They haven't paid anything for that. And they are having people basically go market their Instagram feed. And that's why they're growing, you know, in their in their social media traction, because they put the customer at the center of it. It's not saying. Uh, we shouldn't talk about the business. We shouldn't talk about the products. It's it's elevating the role of the customer in that story. Yeah. You talk about um, another story in the book. I, I can't remember whether it was a hypothetical or whether it was real. It was like somebody's getting, so somebody who follows you is getting married. Yes. And you comment on their feed. Hey, congratulations. Can you tell us some stories like that? You had a few in the book that I think were really clarifying for me about what you can do as an organization to really celebrate your customer. Absolutely. Well, it's, a, it's a real story in the sense, and I'll, it was a Home Depot story. So, okay, yeah. so I was with um, some of the folks that work with Home Depot and I said, you've got, you're, you've got you know, 500, at this time it was 500,000, it's grown since then, Instagram followers. But let me show you one of them. So I showed yeah. them Dana and Dana just got engaged, right? So here's Dana. She actually is open to your brand because she's following you on, on Instagram. So that's, that's a really good thing. She just got engaged. So all you need to do is just say, hey, Dana, congratulations from your friends at Home Depot. I'm so excited mm -hmm. for you. So let's say Dana gets married and then it's six months later and she and her husband wake up one morning and they're just like, you know, we need a new kitchen floor. So they get in their car and they're going down the road and there's Lowe's on one side and Home Depot on the other. Do you think that conversation that you went off of your social media platform onto hers and simply congratulated her, do you think that conversation will come up into the mix? And I think it will. And that's where the game is going. I, I, I was with um, 
Proverbs 31 recently. Fantastic. We love Lisa Turkhurst as you do. And I was, we were talking, they, they helped me with the messaging of this book. And one of her team members said, oh, the other day, I, I'm a huge Starbucks fan. And I just took a picture of my Starbucks mug on my Instagram page. And they commented back on me on my Instagram page. And I took a screenshot of it and sent it to all my friends. I said, okay, when's the last time that you've taken another screenshot of a Starbucks, anything that they've done on their Instagram page? And she says, oh, I've never done that. And I thought, there we go. So what we're doing, what Starbucks did in that moment is they said, hey, we see you, we notice you, we are connecting with you. And then they, she became the sales force for free. Look at what Starbucks did for me today. So is this how you create raving fans? You've got, you talk about that in the book. Can you tell me, because everyone's talking about raving fans, you know, you've got uh, the people who just love your church, love your business, love your organization, love your mission, whatever you happen to be doing. Uh, how do you create a raving fan? Well, it's a, it's a big, that's a big question. Yeah, that's another book, big, I know. But, but, but this is part of what you're doing. It is. And I would say there's, there's some bedrock things, Kerry. For example, let's take Chick-fil-A. The sandwich has to be good, right. two pickles on it, the customer. I mean, they're, they're bedrock foundational things. It does have to be good. But there are businesses that have good products that go out of business. And when it comes to a church, a church has to pray. If, I mean, you've got to start with prayer. Mm. But there are churches that pray that don't grow. Yeah. So there's some fundamental building blocks that you got to have. But once you have those fundamental building blocks, if you don't have people that are talking about you, if you don't have what I call passionate inviters in church world, then your growth will be limited. It's in church world, I tell people, I would rather have 10 passionate inviters than a cool website. But typically what happens in church planning world, we spend a lot of time on our cool website and our cool Instagram photos and all that but we aren't fueling people to, to actually go out and invite and bring people in. And those are your, that's your sales force for free. It's just like any business. Nothing happens unless somebody sells something. So how do you feel that? Like how do you get passionate inviters rather than apathetic attenders? Well, I think it really comes back to a compelling vision. And then, but once you have that compelling vision, you have to say it over and over and over again because vision rarely repeated is quickly forgotten. And I would love to live in this world that I say for Gwinnett one time, and everybody, like, oh, got it, check. Yeah, this is year nine for this message, right? Yeah, and it's barely, it's still catching steam. Oh, absolutely. We'll give you a quick example in the in, in the business world. In Chick-fil-A, I, one of the things I did is I represented the corp, corporation to the largest market, the Atlanta market. So I would work with a lot of operators on marketing. And, and this is a great question, by the way. They said, hey, we've been doing the Eat More Chicken Cow campaign for 10 years now. Yeah. Hasn't everybody already heard that? Hasn't everybody, I mean, can't we move on to the next thing? This is 10 years in, and this is a campaign that's in the Advertising Hall of Fame, okay? And yes, there actually is an Advertising Hall of Fame. Okay. Um, so I thought, you know what? That's a good question. Let's do research. So we're in Atlanta, Chick-fil-A's number one hometown market, and we discovered that the cow campaign, this breakthrough campaign, is only barely starting to break through at 10 years. And so when I shared that with the Atlanta operators, they were like, okay, let's stay on message. Hmm. And by the way, Staying on message is a huge thing the church needs to do right now. You know what? It's, we, if we could just stay on John three sixteen and just stay on that message, it would revolution, revolutionize and change the world. That's another sermon for another day. So, but I think you've got to you've got to create a compelling vision. But then you have to you have to uh, equip the vision carriers. The more vision carriers you have, the more vision casters you have. 
So a real quick example of how we did this at Gwinnett Church is with just our small core of volunteers, I cast this message and said, hey, you know, what are we, what are we known for? And many people are more familiar with what the church is against, all that. So we want to be known for being for Gwinnett. So I'm gonna give you this t-shirt that says for Gwinnett. I want you to wear this. And when people ask you, what does that shirt mean? Here's what I want you to say. Envisions like a bucket of water. The more water you have in the bucket, the more the water spills out. So mm-hmm. you have to have just a few words. So when somebody comes up to you in the grocery store and says, for Gwinnett, there's a sign up there that says, hashtag for Gwinnett. Is that, is that a school? Here's what, and they ask, what is, what is that? Here's what I want you to say. Well, it's a church. And the reason it's a church is we believe that many people are more familiar with what the church is against, rather than what the church is for. We believe that we're, God is for you. That, that little statement grew our church. Prayer grew our church. God grew our church. But having- God is for you. God is for you. And, that, and people that would be willing to wear those t-shirts and to actually say that. The beautiful thing about that for me, Carrie, is you don't have to get a bullhorn and yell at people. You can just wear a t-shirt that says for Gwinnett and people will come up and go, what does that mean? Mm. And though I can't tell you how many conversations I've heard of people going, I was in the park and I walked up to this person. They said this and I decided, huh, I'm going to come to that church someday because there's something compelling about an organization being for people. You argue that customer engagement is the new customer service, that customer service is reactive, but customer engagement is proactive. What do you mean by that? Well, you've got to have great customer service. You know, if you take the, again, my former life in the quick service restaurant, customer service is the fries are cold. Oh, I'm mm. sorry. Here's a coupon for uh, yeah. a new fry. Free fries. Customer, hopefully will be warm. That's right. Customer engagement is, oh, Dana, congratulations on your engagement. Congratulations from your friends at Home Depot. And when I talk to, to big brands about this, the pushback they get is they, they'll say, Jeff, I totally agree with that. But how do I do that for everyone? That's why I love what our mutual friend, Andy Stanley says. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And, but, but it's not just one person. When you do that for Dana, that kind of customer engagement, engaging with them on their, on, in their world, she tells other people about you. That's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to get Dana to talk more about Home Depot than Home Depot talk about Home Depot. Well, and you have that story in the book about, I think it was Hurricane Harvey in Houston <laughs> and the guy who called uh, the local Chick-fil-A. That, that is a powerful story. And <laughs> it's something he'll be talking about till he dies. Yeah, so he called, he couldn't get a hold of uh, 911. Uh, obviously so, I mean, it's Hurricane Harvey hit. So he calls Chick-fil-A and he orders two chicken burritos and a boat. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy answered the phone at Chick-fil-A and they weren't open that day. But right. uh, so, but then he thought, you know, I do know somebody here that actually has a boat. So they showed up with a boat and a jet ski and there's a picture of them uh, being pulled away by two Chick-fil-A team members from their house and they're, they're waving goodbye. And then they got on Good Morning America and CNN. But to even have that kind of ethos of culture to go, oh yeah, I mean, I can't get you chicken burrito today, but we're close, but hey, this person has a boat, let's go. That's because at the end of the day, we wanna be known for being four people. And while that was kind of an outrageous claim, you can't bring a boat to everyone, but you right. can bring a boat to someone. And if you have a boat, Bring it, right? Nordstrom's does that too. I don't think you talk about them in the in the book, but yeah. Nordstrom has that crazy empowerment. Horst Schultze yeah. has done that at Ritz-Carlton where he empowers his employees. He's been on the show, you know, $2,000 per employee per day yeah. to go fix problems and, and empower, you know, staff to do nice things. It's your anniversary. Here's some fresh flowers. Absolutely. Horst is just, you know, he's the quintessential 
customer service guy. And I, I remember him telling me one time, Jeff, the church should be the best at this because your leader, Jesus, was the best at this. That was very, very convicting in terms of customer service and people service. And I thought, oh my goodness, you're so right. Why do you think so many churches and businesses and organizations aren't good at it? Why, why do you think that even, you know, barely, I always told my kids, you know, if you just show up and do what you said you're going to do when you said you're going to do it, you're ahead of 98% of the population. <laughs> uh, that's true in customer service a lot of the time. It's like, wow, the fries were hot. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to wait a long time. But most of the time it's not. Like average is remarkable mm -hmm. these days. Why do you think it's so bad in so many places? Because when we go to work, we go behind the counter and we don't stay in front of the counter. In other words, when I would go work with Chick-fil-A operators, I would say, hey, I know it's lunchtime and I know it's busy, but one of the best things that you can do, not every day, but more often than you would think, you need to be in front of the counter seeing the business from the customer's perspective. Wow. Because when you don't, what will happen is you'll fall prey to consumer logic versus producer logic. Consumer logic, uh, well, let me, they'll, they'll fall prey to producer logic versus consumer logic. Okay. Producer logic says, for instance, in the quick service restaurant, it's lunchtime, so I need to stack the queue with as many fries as possible. So right. I can get them out fast. That's, that's producer logic. I'm producing these fries. I got to do that. But consumer logic comes up and says, that's a lot of fries in the queue. I wonder when they get to my fries, are they going to be hot and fresh? Mm. And so you don't see that when you're in the producer logic behind the counter. You just see it as, I got to get these fries out. Right. It's much like I'm, Wendy and I, we're, we're getting to the close of empty nesting phase. Mm -hmm. And we, this may sound boring, but we love going to movies still. And when I go into to buy popcorn in a movie, there's all these, po the popcorns in the queue line, but I never ask for that popcorn. I ask for the fresh popcorn. And it's always fascinating to me. They don't go, I don't know what you're talking about. They always go to the fresh pop that's already popped, but it's not in the queue line. And so for me, I just feel like that we have, we go to work every day and we get behind the counter and we see that from our perspective and we've got to fight for the other side of the counter. We've got to fight for the consumer that's coming up for the first time. It's why when I get to church on Sunday and you know this, I get I get here before anyone else is, you know, before any of the attendees are here and there's no parking problems. Uh, uh, there's, no, there's no stress, everything's fine. And I never see the problems that people can face when they come in because I've created a system where I don't see any of the problems. And so I think understanding the difference between producer logic and consumer logic and moving toward consumer logic, what are the customers seeing? That's one of the reasons we don't, we don't get there. How do you get your team to care? Because I think there's a lot of owners, there's a lot of senior leaders listening and they're like, well, I care. I'm, I'm with you hundred percent on that. I just can't motivate my team. I just, I can't get... <laughs> You know, I can't pay top wages or sometimes I do and they're still not very motivated. So how do you motivate it? How do you motivate an unmotivated workforce? That's a great question. I do think it goes back to vision, but, but putting vision on repeat and just saying it over and over and over again. We've given our staff uh, a, a little sticker on their laptops and it says, what have I done for Gwinnett today? And a question that I was taught at Chick-fil-A by David Salyers was, what did you do today to build the business? And I love the, many times we would ask this with Chick-fil-A operators who would say, hey, what did, what did you do today to build your business? And they say, well, you know, yesterday I did a big catering order and next week I'm doing a billboard ad or whatever. And we said, hey, that, all that's great, but that's not the question. Today. Today. And so I would tell business leaders, what did you do today to remind everyone of the compelling vision that you have as an organization 
And that if we don't work toward that today, the world around us will suffer. So what's a good answer for that? For, for you? For us is we are for Gwinnett. What did we do for Gwinnett? Did we- Yeah, but how did, do you do that tangibly? Well, we'll do it in just a second. So which uh, before, and before you speak in staff meeting, this may seem like a small thing, but the reaction we've got out of this is really cool. We'll go, we'll start our staff meetings and go to Instagram and search hashtag for Gwinnett. And we'll like and comment on the photos that are there as a staff. And what people will say is, oh, this church feels small. I mean, it's so big, but it yeah. feels small. It's it five or 6,000 people on a yeah. Sunday, but it feels small. Yeah, and, and I think that's the way, that's the new way to grow, grow small. What I mean by that is every, every organization has to grow, but I think you can still, you don't have to sacrifice the, 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 the small feel. You wrote about this on your, on your blog recently. You know, all the criticism about mega church and all that, not to get into all that, but I think we all need to grow. Mm-hmm. I mean, and now how you characterize growth, totally different. But, but healthy things grow, unhealthy things die. And so one of the ways we can grow is grow small. So one of the ways our staff is reminded of the Four Gwinnett mission is today in just a few minutes, we're all gonna sit there and like 10 Instagram posts and comment on two of them. But what we do is then it allows them on Sunday to go, hey, I saw that you were at the beach with your Four Gwinnett shirt. Yeah. And, they're, and they're gonna go, how did you know that? Well, I saw it on Instagram, I, you know. So that, that kind of thing helps reinstill why are we here? Why are we doing this? And we want people to know that we are for them and God is for them. You write thank you notes too. Mm-hmm. And you have a quota. You talk about it. And that's one of the first things I knew about you when we got to know each other years ago. I would hear you talk about thank you notes. And I've been the recipient of some of those thank you notes. And they're wonderful. Tell me, tell me about that and how that makes a difference. Well, I, I think I have... I'm an encourager at heart, you know, so uh-huh. my, my love language is words of affirmation. So, you know, I, I, it, it means a lot to me, but I, I just love the old school, get a stamp and put it in the mail kind of approach because I just v- envision our volunteers go into their mailbox every day and they get bill, bill, bill catalog. And then here's a note and it's from me saying, hey, I heard a story of what you did in our middle school ministry and what middle schoolers are facing nowadays. Oh my goodness. And you're helping them? That's amazing. Hmm. And I've just heard so many stories of people who've come over, come up to me over the years saying, hey, I still have your thank you note on my refrigerator at home. And that was five years ago. My, my experience is people don't throw thank you notes away. Maybe some people do, but most of them keep, I've seen them in cubicles. I've seen them on refrigerators, but it just helps reinstate the vision. And I, I tell in the book that my hero in the world of thank you notes is Frank Blake. Yeah. I mean, tell he wrote, that story. I, this is astounding to me, but you know, Frank, his goal was to write a hundred a week. And, but the cool thing, it's crazy. And, but if you look at the story of Frank, when he came into the organization and the turnaround story, he would tell you it really came to reminding everyone of the vision and celebrating the vision. So he became CEO in 07, 08? So, yeah. Right around the great recession. And it was not a great time either for the economy or Home Depot. And Frank would tell you that when they, the board tapped him, he, he said, who, me? Yeah. <laughs> like, have y'all, do y'all have the right guy? Because he had no, no, no experience necessarily to run this. But, but he set up a systems. They had, they had districts that would give them stories. And then he would put on an orange apron, run around stores, and then take stories and names. And he got really good at this. And so, and then just legendary stories of people walking up to him and saying, did you really write this? And he said, yeah, I, I did. It just... The point is, do you think people worked harder after getting a Frank Blake note or they worked less? 
no question about it. And I think he began to see the vision begin to rise in that organization. So for me, I'm no Frank Blake. So he does 100 a week, I do 15, just three a day, five days a week. And there are some systems. One of the systems is I'll text our staff on Sundays and say, hey, if there are any stories from your volunteers mm-hmm. today, please send them to me. I would love to write them a thank you note. And just things I hear, but I'd carry a stack of note cards with me in my book bag, in my car, just if I have some downtime, I'm writing notes. And I've just heard a lot about that. And again, it goes back to growing small. And then yeah. I notice you, I see you, can't do it for everyone, but do for one what you wish you could do for everyone, as Andy says. One of the uh, first times um, I showed up at North Point, I was at an event and I was aware of you. We had met, but we weren't really friends yet. And I met one of your staff members. This was in the early days of Buckhead Church. Hmm. And um, I don't know how it came up, but we were just chatting. And I said, oh, you work at Buckhead Church. You know, you work with Jeff. And she said, I don't remember who she was. She says, I love working with Jeff. And I don't want to embarrass you, but she said, wherever that man goes, if he's like picking up garbage, like if he becomes a garbage collector, you know, she says, I'm on the back of the truck with him. That's how much I love working for him. Why do you think, you engender that kind of loyalty? What are some of the practices? What are some of the habits? What are some of the, the rhythms and disciplines that, that have helped you? Because part of this is being for your team, right? It's mm-hmm. not just for your community, for your customer, it's for your team. Right. Um, what are some other things that you think help engender that kind of response? I think the car ride with Truett instilled that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I had, I've had several mentors in my life uh, that have instilled that, but the great thing about these two questions is they're not just for organizations, they're for people. Yeah. What do you want to be known for and what are you known for? And the way I answer that, there are a couple of ways I answer that. One of the ways I answer that is I want to be known for, for being for the person right in front of me. So that could be the barista at Starbucks. That could be Carrie Newhoff. That could be Aaron, who's helping us record today. Yeah. That could be whoever whoever's in front of me. I want that person to walk away thinking, wow, that, that guy was for me. Because I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any coincidence in our interactions. I think every interaction every day is a divine appointment. That's what I try to tell our kids. When we go out to dinner, whoever comes, this is an amazing country. People bring us food. Are you kidding mm. me? This is amazing. So let's treat that person with honor, the honor and respect that they deserve. So, because they do deserve that. Because I've been in that industry. So I want to be known for being the person, whoever is in front of me, that's who I want to be You do for. that with servers. I mean, we've had many meals together. And you always ask a server for their name. Even when you're on my turf, you'll be like, what's your name? <laughs> Even with my Southern accent up in Canada. So, <laughs> so, and that, I mean, there's a spiritual side to that answer as well. But, but for me, the, it's, I want to be known for the person in front of me. And so for the team, that's, when, if you're going to do this, you've got to be for the team because you can't have a healthy customer culture with an unhealthy team culture. I mean, mm. when you and I walk into a restaurant or you and I walk into a business, we can instantly feel the culture because it's flowing through the team to us. And I can tell how they're, how they're being treated. So if I go to a quick service restaurant and they won't even look at me in the eye, I'm like, oh, I know how you're being treated. Really? Mm-hmm. You... And it's not good. I mean, you're, you're, you're not confident. You don't care about the business because the business doesn't care about you. And uh, they've put you at the counter and they've not prepared you, which means there's no training. There's no, there's no proper training. And this organization just has you filling an hourly slot versus saying, hey, this could be a step in your larger career. 
You know, I had that at the hotel last night. I got in late after midnight. It was probably closer to 1 a.m., which is way beyond my bedtime. And, you know, there was a guy roughly my age who was behind the desk. And I'm sure that wasn't his dream job. Right. Right. But it was bare minimum engagement. Mm -hmm. And you're right. It's probably not him. It's probably how he's being managed. It's Mm -hmm. how he's being led. It's how, so, you know, as Craig Rochelle says, our mutual friend, you, you can't say, my people don't. You have to say, I haven't led my people too. Absolutely, absolutely. And there have been other experiences where you've you've gotten in late and it's been the ex- exact opposite. And so- Oh yeah, yeah, this- no. I mean, you have me three o'clock in the morning and people yeah. are like, hey, we've been waiting for you. Good to see you. Welcome. We're yeah. glad you're here. And it really, if you go to those two questions, there's every, I think the goal of any leadership team should be to shrink the gap between those two questions. There's a gap in that those two questions. What do you want to be known for? What are you known for? There's a gap here. Yeah. There's a gap everywhere. Oh, there's a gap in my marriage. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The goal is to shrink the gap. And yeah. to do that, you have to be for four groups. You have to be for the customer, for the team, for the larger community, and then also for you. And so in doing that, you create this ethos that says, this organization is for you. And when that happens, customers and the team end up becoming for you as well. You made an interesting link between um, customers, the way customers are treated, the way you treat the team. Do you subscribe to the philosophy that your team kind of is your customer, that how you treat your team is how your customers will ultimately be treated? Absolutely. In fact, that's the when I became the lead pastor at Buckhead Church, that was my, my first customer is the staff. Mm. Because if I can take care of the staff, the staff can take care of the church. And I want to create that kind of culture. And that doesn't mean you alienate the church or customers, if you will, but I want our team to feel challenged and loved. And I want our team to feel celebrated and appreciated. And I know that our team, some of our team will go on to bigger and better things, but I want them three to five years from now to look back and go, you know what? That time at Gwinnett Church prepared me for what I'm doing now. They were really for me. And I just think life is too short and we, we, we work way too long and way too hard to not do that and not to actually have a, you know, a powerful purpose along with the bottom line. Does that mean sometimes like you get people who just don't respond to that kind of leadership? Like, have you had to transition people off? Like, how do you know? Okay. I've been for Carrie. I've done it again and again and again, and he's just not responding. What do you do in a case like Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Well, it's funny. I, uh, Dr. Tim Irwin, who's a great friend and, and great thinker, he uh, wrote a book called Extraordinary Influence, and he, he's trying to ban the phrase constructive criticism. Because uh, <laughs> he says that means uh, my, 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 my motives are good, but I'm about to gut you emotionally. <laughs> That's right, what constructive right, right. criticism means. But Tim says, if people know that if people know that you are for them, they can handle pretty much anything. And so a good friend of mine, David Farmer at Chick-fil-A, I mentioned David in the book, he's very blunt with his team, but his team knows that the reason I'm being blunt is because I'm for you. I see something about you. And there are some people that just can't take that. There's some people that would say, I, I don't want to do that. I, I don't, or I don't resonate with being for Gwinnett or I don't resonate being, you know, for Barry or uh, for Midland in, in, in Toronto. So that's fine but I want to be able to transition you off into a next step. Now, there are some things that there's just, we missed on chemistry. We missed on, you know, for whatever reason, or-, or It's not gonna of, work all the time. Yeah, it's not gonna work all the time. Um, so you have all the systems in place, 
But once they're on staff, we wanna be able to create. And in fact, somebody said yesterday, uh, I told you this, they said, who's booking all these great guest speakers at our staff meetings, you know, <laughs> meaning you. And uh, um, part of my role is to try to bring as many great speakers in to our staff meeting so that they can provide deposits in. And I want them to think, wow, we used to have Carrie Newhoff come and speak at our staff. And you're gonna say some things today that will uh, help them grow, not just as a Gwinnettshire staff person, but as a person. That's a huge deal for me. One of the things I learned from you, and it articulated something I had already was doing, but not not as well as you do it. And it, and it changed how I do one-on-one meetings. And I might get the phrase wrong, but it's something like, ask people uh, how they're doing before you ask them what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so I'll usually start most of my check-ins one-on-one with like, so how's it going? How's Wendy? How are the kids? How's Jess enjoying Montana? You know, how's Cole doing? Wow, is this his last year, right? And then, are you all right? Like, mm-hmm. you got gas in the tank? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about work. Yeah. Why is that a, like, why did you adopt that approach? I think it's a four approach. In that moment, yeah. you just said, Jeff, I'm for you. The fact that you yeah. know my daughter's in Montana, that Cole's a rising senior. Oh my goodness, you actually, you've, you've paid attention to me? Mm-hmm. Um, that's awesome. And so, if this was a boss-employee relationship, I would walk away going, I, again, I want to run through a brick wall with Carrie. He actually knows my daughter's name. Hmm. Now, you can't do that with 500 employees. I understand that. <laughs> no. Or a but, church of 6,000 yeah. or 8,000. But again, it's those you can. And it's that's why this whole thing that may seem like a, uh, a silly thing about liking Instagram posts. So we'll do that. This is, this, is what happen, this is what will happen Sunday. I don't know how this happens, but it will. Typically, not always, but typically, I'll be in the lobby and somebody will run by and walk by and I'll go, hey, hey, I... I so you guys were in San Diego last week, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for liking my Instagram post. Those kind of things are just, wow, the, it's personable. It's in the more personable, the more remarkable, the more personable, the more memorable. And we want to create personable moments in our friendships. And we're just so busy in life. Yeah. So um, these kind of things slow things down, but they slow things down for the right reasons. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. I mean, it makes sense if, if we take a moment and you do with Aaron, who's engineering the sound today, you know, and he feels like he's treated well, then that's going to leak out when he's in the foyer on a Sunday morning or in the parking lot or dealing with some of the people that he works with or he leads. No, that's, that's good. Um, anything else about being for your team? I think, and you've written a lot about this as well, uh, as it relates to, to, to for the team is just let's, let's celebrate and let's have some fun. I mean, especially in in church work. I think in church world, we take ourselves way too seriously. Our work is serious, but we don't have to take ourselves so seriously. We're not perceived as very fun, nice people by the rest of the world. (laughs) It's true. We're perceived as judgmental and we take ourselves too seriously. And I mean, I've told our church this, I'll let Disney World be the happiest place on earth. But as for us, we want our church to be the most joyful place on the planet. Mm. And the church has got a long way to go to be the most joyful place. How do you do that? Well, I think part of it is we'll do just events. Like uh, we we have this legendary event in the fall called S'more Gwinnett, where we just have s'more pits and then we have a fireworks show and there's for no other reason. And we'll throw events out on the lawn and we'll just try to have a lot of fun. We try to have our, we try to create some fun on social media and just try to do some fun and, and crazy things. And there's always a fine line there and I totally understand that. But we just want to have, we want to be joyful because if if what we believe is actually true, we got right. a lot of reasons to be joy-filled. Yeah. 
I just feel like if we're not careful, we, 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 we just take ourselves too, way too seriously. So, but that really emanates from the team. So that having, having fun and celebrating and, 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 and doing a lot of fun things, that's, that helps create an ethos, a joyous spirit, because they don't teach this in the business world, but there is a, there's a very, very practical, real business advantage to a culture that is, that is buoyant and joy-filled. Mm. I feel it at Chick-fil-A. Uh, I feel it um, uh, at like a company like Zappos. Uh, I, I, I felt it when I went to your church for the volunteer event yeah. and all these volunteers are fired up. <laughs> all right. And they're not- They're there on the nicest Saturday of the yes. year to date. And I'm like, we're not paying you. Like, this is crazy. And I talk to business leaders. They kind of sometimes dismiss us church leaders as like, yeah, y'all don't really know how to lead because yeah. you know, it's your church. I'm like, so how many people on your staff do you pay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have they, maybe 12 or 15 on the payroll and it takes about 700 to run absolutely. the church. Absolutely. Yeah. So we pay these folks in coffee and donuts. So, and I've heard John Maxwell say, um, if you really want to know a great leader, look at who they can lead if they don't have to, that, that team isn't getting paid. And so what I saw at Connexus Church was, uh, you know, 300 or so volunteers on a beautiful Saturday, first warm Saturday in Toronto in quite a while, fired up and excited to be there. Okay, that's a wow. No wonder y'all are growing because there's this joy that's emanating from that team to the people that would come the next day. That's huge. And so when I saw that in Connexus, I'm like, well, of course. No wonder you've no wonder you've experienced this growth because this joy is fueling it. So um, I want to talk a little bit about self care because uh, that's part of it, right? Being for you, uh, which means for yourself, you got to take care of yourself if you're. And and burnout, I'm writing a book on it right now. That'll come out a year from now. But, um, you know, it seems to be a rising epidemic. Mm-hmm. It's happening in business. Uh, people are tired. They're exhausted. You and I were talking about that at breakfast yeah. even, right? How maybe uh, over the course of our 20 plus years in leadership, we become more introverted as right. our organizations have grown. And you're responsible. Like, so you have five or 6,000 people on the weekend, but how many people call Gwinnett Church home? At both your locations. Oh goodness! It's it, the, the circle is wide. It's probably like eight to right, ten right. thousand, yep. which can seem overwhelming. You right. have how many staff right now, Jeff? Uh, over fifty. Over fifty staff. So over fifty staff who you cannot have a personal relationship with, and like me, you refuel by being alone. Now, sometimes when things grow and things get big, leaders just wall themselves off and I don't talk to anybody and you have to go through Fort Knox to right. you know, like get to the leader and right. uh, the whole deal. And you're not, you're not really like that, but you have to have some boundaries. You, you have to figure out what fuels you. How do you navigate that? What are some rhythms, disciplines, and habits that help you figure out how to still be for the people that you, mm-hmm. you can be for? while refueling yourself and still being for your family and leading a massive organization of like 10,000 people who call this place home? Such a great question. And one of the things I've learned, I, it took me a while to learn this, but I realized that one of the best ways that I can show the people in my life that I'm for them is to be for me in the sense of making sure I remain inspired and I remain rested. Because one of the best ways I, things I can give them is a re, replenished and rejuvenated me. Yeah. And if I'm going all out to serve them at the expense of my own soul, then ultimately I'm not doing them any. What happens to you when you get in a bad place? What happens to your personality? You know, for me, I stop dreaming. I stop, stop creating. And um, I, I feel like that when, I, when the ideas stop and I, I start getting um, 
uh, more and more withdrawn. I, I think I'm more of a, in, in, um, in conflict, I'm a withdrawer. Right, right. Yeah, you're conflict diverse. Right. right. So, so, and that's just as bad as somebody <laughs> going ahead and going, I mean, you're a former lawyer, so you-, you, you yeah, I don't mind conflict. It's okay. Yeah, you, you, you welcome it. So uh, for me, I just, I just withdraw. Yeah. And, uh, and you, had, you were pivotal in my burnout in fall of 2015. I mean, that conversation I had with you in Toronto, I was just scheduled to be, when I took those days off, I was just happened to be scheduled, but that, wasn't, that, wasn't, that was a God thing. That was a divine appointment. That conversation with you still has dividends to this day, which I'll tell the staff in just a little bit. So I've got to surround myself with people like you that are good friends that can speak in. And I feel like you could say anything to me and I would, I would go, oh, wow, you're seeing that. And, and so I've got a group of people that, that I meet with frequently. And, and then there are mentors of mine that have Wendy's cell number and they go, how's Jeff really doing? You know, yeah. cause I really think my marriage, our marriage is an indicator of how I'm really doing. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, Tony and I, we've had our ups and downs and we're in an up. As we all have, by yes, the way. Yes, yes, we <laughs> but I thought we were unique. What, what, that was such a rare story. Um, no, and we're in a really great season. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the future together. And I said to her just the other night, I feel like there's really an us at a level that mm-hmm. there hasn't been before. So what do you want to do? What do you want to do? What about me? What about you? It's like, there's just an us over the last few years. That's been really cool. And I think that's true because you're always going to have fires. You're always going to have turbulence. There's always going to be something. If you're leading anything significant, there's always something that's not oh, going, sure. yeah. quite, you know. Like, and I noticed that with y'all. When Wendy and I were up there with y'all, we both talked about this. There's a there's a togetherness with y'all now. And uh, that, I mean, it's always been there. But the other thing is, to your point, I mean, y'all have been through a lot of fires. I mean, starting a church is not for the faint of heart. True. Especially starting where you started a church and coming out of a very traditional setting. So there, you had a lot of things, you know, going against or whatever the phrase is, or walls you had to knock through. Well, that's going to take a toll. Um, oh, it did. And, oh, for sure. But that's actually normal. That's the price of leadership. And when any, when anybody tells me, oh, I want to be a leader, I want to have more responsibility, I'm like, well, okay, then buckle up. Because if you really want that, then you have no idea the challenges that are coming your way until you get to that seed. Yeah. And it's there. But you guys have really come through and it was it was fun to see just that togetherness that y'all have now. It was great to spend a couple of days together on home turf, you know, in the boat, the backyard, the whole deal. And 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 that is a joy that um, there were seasons where we didn't know it would come. I think that's a really good litmus test. Like, how is it going at home? Because mm-hmm. yeah. I've always reminded myself, because I didn't used to believe this, mm-hmm. if you're winning at work, but losing at home, you're losing. Absolutely. And yeah. and I used to think that winning at work kind of, you know, well, then home's kind of irrelevant. It's like, no, 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 no. It's very, very relevant. Home's going to be around a lot longer yeah. than work. And especially in the, in, in, in the pastor world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it, one of the things too I've learned from you that I'm not doing a very good job at is I got to have better hobbies or more hobbies. <laughs> My hobbies is just working out or something, but you've got boating and the big green well, that's egg. That's why you're and so that. thin and fit. No. I'm not. One of my, one of my hobbies you is eating. To, you continue to beat me on the, uh, our little app thing that yeah, we're doing, but, I, but, but your, your hobbies, your replenishing, that's very convicting for me. So, but again, all that goes back to, mm. I've got to remain inspired. It's not get inspired. It's remain inspired. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's good, Jeff. Anything else about, um, for, I think it's a fantastic book. You've got like incredible endorsements 
as well. It's been endorsed by some uh, some amazing people. Yeah, well, I'm honored that John Maxwell endorsed it, and uh, and and you endorsed it, and Andy Stanley, wrote, you know, wrote the afterward, and and so it's been it's been fun. But this is this is not this isn't my message. This is our message. Uh, you know, Connexus has been a part of this for years now with what, what you guys are learning from you. And so, um, and we're, I'm learning from other churches and other organizations. And so, so it's been great. So I think this is a message for me that uh, it's, it's a life message. For the business leaders listening, have you seen businesses adopt the four approach as well? Absolutely. And in fact, Cheryl Botchelder, who is the former CEO of Popeye's Chicken, she's in the, uh, she's in the book. She's now the interim CEO of Pier One. And, oh, um, and I didn't know that. Yeah, in Dallas. And so Cheryl's amazing. Yeah, yeah, she is. She's been on this podcast. She, it was like a 90 minute MBA. It's oh, she's crazy. Well, her, her turnaround story with Popeyes, I think it's remarkable. It's one of the best I've seen in recent yeah, yeah. years. It'll be written up in Harvard's case studies Absolutely. for years. Just brilliant. But what she did was a, a really a four mentality for the franchisees. You know, her, she's in the book about how she would listen. Hmm. And that seems so simple, but it's not. And so she's actually implemented the four strategies. She's, she's implementing it right now at Pier One and doing a, uh, a fantastic job. And so seeing companies um, that implement this, and they, they, they have it, I think, sometimes in words, but there are some systems that we can put around this in terms of customer strategy, especially as it relates to marketing and messaging, especially as it relates to social media. Uh, they're, they're just, one quick example is, one of the mistakes big brands put is do is they put social media in the in the advertising department. Ah, that they and as a result as a result of that they treat it as advertising. It shouldn't be treated as advertising. It should be treated as customer engagement. And um, but they treat it they they treat it as digital media, not social media. So the four mentality shifts that to say, hey, we've got to treat this as customer engagement and social media because. What we are doing right now, we're a megaphone. We need to have a telephone approach and, and engage with our customers. So I'm seeing a lot of businesses, locally business business and large brands start to implement this. And so it's it's really fun to see them get some traction. That's great. So the book is called Know What You're For. Mm-hmm. It's got a big four on it. It's yeah. out today and available everywhere books are sold. Are you, you're doing a book tour. I am, yeah. Where so, can they find details about cities and where just, you'll be? Just go to jeffhenderson.com. So okay. uh, they'll, they'll be uh, list all the tours and tour dates and... Um, and so I'm very excited about that. It'll, it'll be not, but it'll be a business, what we're calling a business breakfast tour. So we'll get together. We're going to talk about these two questions and talk about how you can grow your business and your career. And so it's an opportunity for people who they, you know, just invite their teams. And uh, we're going to be with, it's actually going to be uh, hosted by a lot of churches around the country, but it's not a church setting. It's just a, it's just a host site. And uh, we'll just purely be about business, have breakfast, and then you'll go on, the, going off to work. But um, and then they can get the book at jeffhenderson.com as well. And um, so I'm, I'm excited about it. But again, it all goes back to you texting me that day going, <laughs> I've had it. You got to get this book out. That's a little too much credit. But uh, and then uh, you connected me with Esther and the rest is history. Uh, Jeff, hey, thanks so much. This won't be the last time. Once again, it's just so rich. Really appreciate you, my friend. Grateful for you. And thanks for what you're about to do for our staff. Yeah, here we go. Jeff is one of my favorite people. He totally is. I just love the time we spent together. I know you're probably intrigued. His book is out today. It's called Be Known for What You're For. It is available anywhere books are sold. And you can also get everything, including transcripts at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 293. And uh, remember to stay tuned in just a moment. I'm going to do uh, hashtag Ask Carrie, And we're going to talk about leadership and friendship, which actually is a bigger issue than most people would think. 
But before we do that, make sure you check out the unique offers we've got from our partners this week. You want to check out the Unstuck Group. Tony is one of the sharpest leaders out there, Tony Morgan. And you can hear more about how they helped us at Connexus. You can head to theunstuckgroup.com forward slash guests. And remember, for this month only, you can get up to 30% off for life on your website for your church. That's no upfront development fees, 30% off for life by going to prowebfire.com forward slash carry, and they would love to serve you there. Well, next week, we've got Deanne Turner, someone that Jeff used to work with at Chick-fil-A, who talks about how to create an amazing customer service experience. You ever been to a Chick-fil-A? Fascinating. Of course, you, well, most of you have been to a Chick-fil-A. It's not just the chicken sandwich, it's their customer service. And how do they instill that attitude into like tens of thousands of 16, 17-year-olds? Uh, that's what we're talking about uh, on the next episode. It's coming up later this week with Deanne Turner. Here's an excerpt. And he had this one particular rule. Um, he took a nap every day after lunch. Now, I'm not talking about power naps that executives uh, might take now, you know, for 10 minutes to regain their energy. I'm talking about a full-on snoring two-hour nap. Oh, my gosh. And on top of that, and he was he was head of the company, and on top of that, he left strict instructions. He was not to be disturbed under any condition. Well, one day I was sitting at the receptionist desk and um, the FBI showed up. <laughs> <laughs> and naturally, it was during the boss's nap time. And they showed their badges and my 20-year-old self, just as proud as I could be, I said, I'm sorry, he's not available. And of course, you know what they did. <laughs> They said, let's make him available. So that's next time on the podcast. Remember, if you subscribe, you get it automatically for free. Guys, thank you so much for sharing. And uh, thanks for sharing this on social. Uh, we had one of the biggest weeks in the history of the podcast just a couple of weeks ago. And again, that's because you guys keep sharing. Thank you so much for that. And now to today's question. The question was simply this. As a pastor, and I would substitute leader because I talk to a lot of leaders and this is a problem. It's been sometimes difficult to find true friends even or especially in the congregation or on the leadership team. People get weird with you. Yep. How do you approach this? Well, a couple of things. First of all, yes, people do get weird with you. Whenever you're a boss, here, here is the reality, okay? You have power over the people that you serve. Now, obviously, you're supposed to have a servant heart and be a servant leader and, you know, uh, not focus on the power that you've got. But the reality is when someone, when you have the power to hire and fire people, or you're kind of their authority, it, it is going to be a different kind of relationship. It just is. Now, I've been in the same community and the same with the same group of people for 25 years, and we have lifelong friends in the church, a handful of them. But, you know, you always have to ask the question, is that because I was their pastor or I am their pastor? Or is it because I'm their friend? And the answer is you don't really know. And you can have a best friend at work, and I, I think that's great. But remember, at the end of the day, you're still the boss. And that means sometimes you have to correct your friend. And sometimes you've maybe got to fire a friend. I mean, it's hard um, to do that. And so how do you handle this? Well, it's a great question. One thing is I would not resist having friends like that. I, I think you can have some great friendships, and we do, some really rich and rewarding friendships. But in the back of my mind, I have to remember, yes, I'm still their pastor. I'm still their leader. That's exactly how that works. So uh, you got to remember that. And then secondly, don't just look to the organization which you serve for friendship. And um, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. I would love for you to go back a few episodes 
and uh, go back to episode 286 and listen to my interview with John Townsend, the renowned clinical psychologist and best-selling author. And he talks about how to actually make friends. It's toward the end of the podcast. And he gives you an interview process on how to interview people to see if they can become part of your inner circle of friends. Believe it or not, yeah, you're doing an interview for how can I be a friend. It is single-handedly the best advice I've ever heard on friendship and the kind of friendship that frankly a lot of leaders don't have and a lot of pastors don't have because we tend to always be on the giving end and we're always giving pastoral care, giving advice or coaching or mentoring or serving and we don't really have close friends. So if you want a more nuanced answer, he talks about taking a few people out to lunch and just kind of testing the waters in friendship. He shows you exactly how to do that. And that's episode 286 of this podcast. It has much greater detail. Bottom line is, I think you need three of those. I think you need three people. One of them may be inside your church, but then maybe two others that you can have regular contact with. You could do it virtually, but it's better if you do it in real life. John shows you exactly the questions to ask and the process to follow. And that's in episode 286. So, yep, it's hard. It's not impossible. Uh, I do have some very rich friendships. Uh, they take a lot of work. They really do. Uh, but don't give up. And hopefully John Townsend can help you even more than this little answer can. Hey, if you got a question, leave it for me on any of the socials, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Use the hashtag AskCary at C-A-R-E-Y. And I will answer one every week at the end of this podcast. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for all your support, all your encouragement. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.